Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, George Miranda, at GMiranda23 on Twitter. Today, we're talking about a pretty timely topic for the software industry. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced us to make a shift into 100% remote work, many of us for the first time. The change to 100% remote work has mixed results. Some people love it, but other people have found it to be a very jarring shift that's difficult to adjust to. Even in companies that are the so-called digital natives, where working from home occasionally is the norm, many people now find themselves scrambling to cope with the change. Teams that were used to being in an office together to get things done are now working from home for the longest stretches of their careers. Learning how to make that adjustment under normal circumstances is tough, but it's even tougher to do when you're just starting to get to know a team because you were in the middle of onboarding when this pandemic hit, like our guest today. Distributed communication is one of the biggest challenges for remote teams, but that's especially complicated when you're not just learning new habits, but you're also learning new people. So we're here to talk about the lessons that we can all use to better work with and better understand our teams during this unprecedented and sudden shift that we've had into 100% remote work. We're joined today by Sumbri, who recently joined Airbnb as head of reliability engineering. Sumbri, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, George. Would you like to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about who you are? Uh, of course. Um, so my name is officially Donald Sumbri, but those that know me just call me by my last name, Sumbri. It's uh, been my handle for quite some time, longer than I can actually remember. I'm originally from Los uh, Angeles. And for those of you that don't know, me and George actually know each other from LA uh, from many, many years ago. Uh, and moved up to the Bay Area about 10 years ago. I, I originally started in the Bay Area to join Twilio, where I uh, headed up the platform team there and got to do all kinds of cool stuff, uh, especially leveraging AWS and working uh, with a lot of the, the older school cloud technologies. I spent about four and a half years at Twilio and then uh, moved to Uber, where I was basically running production engineering at Uber. And I did that for about four years as well. I tend to stick around at companies for a while when I join them. And just recently, I've uh, now moved on to Airbnb, where, as George mentioned, I'm, I'm heading up reliability engineering. So, yeah, we do know each other. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show was because we've chatted quite a bit about the ways that we work and some challenges that we've had. And one of the things I found really interesting is that this is the first time you've been working remotely for this long, um, meaning that you're not going into an office. And so I've been a remote worker for about eight years. Um, for folks that don't know on the show, um, I'm often called an extreme digital worker or remote worker. I've been doing the digital nomad thing for about two years. And so I, I move around quite a bit. And Sumbri, what I thought was interesting was that you don't move around a bit, but you have worked with a lot of globally distributed teams, right? You've worked at companies like Uber and Twilio um, before coming to Airbnb. Those are really large names, not only in the Valley, but across the globe, right? You are dealing with teams all over the world, but you've never really worked from home 
for a significant stretch of time. So how about we start there? What is this shift to working from home and not going into an office been like? So yeah, the challenges with Airbnb are the fact that not all the teams that we actually worked with were global by default. You know, we had this San Francisco first mentality. And so this is just a big shift that had to change. Uh, an example that I use to kind of uh, express this point is take like a video conference. You know, with the San Francisco first mentality, most of the people on the video conference are in the same room. So when they're talking and interacting with each other, there's a natural ebb and flow to the conversation for folks in that room. But if you take one or two people and you add them as remote you know, workers, what then happens is they always feel like they're interrupting the flow of conversation anytime they try to interject. And so by being sort of SF first, that just meant that, you know, people in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, you know, kind of had the loudest voice in meetings. Then all of a sudden, we just switched to everyone, you know, basically being remote all the time now. And it just, it kind of took a big, uh, like cultural shift. And it, it was really tough for people to get used to this in the beginning. And it's interesting seeing the progression because what started out as people kind of taking turns, you know, interrupting each other and feeling almost like we were using two-way uh, conversation just kind of flowed into a more natural, you know, ebb and flow in a conversation as we, we got more and more used to this over the weeks. And so that's just kind of one example of having the break out of this SF, like Bay Area first mentality. I'm sure there's lots of others as well. You know, you you put a few things out there and you're right. You know, I, I do remember that stretch where you were uh, working for yourself. You're starting your own business and working from home. But the funny thing is that I don't think I really think about that as your were remote work experience because you had to communicate mostly with yourself or a couple of other vendors, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the real challenge of, you know, working remotely is is the thing that you mentioned, right? When there's a center of gravity around a particular location, if you're not there, it's really easy to feel excluded. So this is great. I think we're going to have some really good things to talk about. But one one thing I wanted to start with is one thing that we do here on the show is for whatever topic we're discussing, we always start by debunking a popular myth or misconception about the thing that we're talking about. So what myth do you want to debunk about working from home? I have a few, but I'll just start with one and I'll work the others uh, maybe into other parts of the conversation. And that big myth is that you should work from home in your pajamas or you should not get dressed and basically take it easy. And I think that is 100% the wrong thing to do. I think it's very easy to fall into that trap. So normally if you get up in the morning and you take a shower and you get dressed and you go to work, you know, working from home, you should still do those same things. Like don't get too comfortable not having that routine because it actually ends up making it tougher to be more productive because it's all about, you know, routine. I think that's one of the biggest ways that you can be successful. So I often tell people, nope, get up every day, shower, put on clothes, get dressed like you're going into the office and then just go to your desk and work. You know, I've I've said that for a long time and that's, <laughs> that's always been my routine. And yeah, I have been that annoying person that's always like, get dressed, right? Like, go to work. And uh, not to get too personal, but um, I've actually had a little bit of a hard time these last few weeks 
with everything that's been going on. And I became that person that stayed in my pajamas. <laughs> and my work days suffered and just my overall well-being. Like that was the key signal where I realized, oh my God, something has really changed. So you know, I, I will say that different people handle it different ways. And like my wife, for example, has no problem sitting in our bed, reaching over, grabbing her laptop and just typing away and getting her day started. And I can't do that. So I think everybody needs their routine or their, yes. their go-to. So it takes different shapes and forms, but I, I 100% hear you. Dive into some of the things that um, that I think we're here to talk about a little bit more, right? So one of the things I thought was very interesting, like I alluded to in our introduction, was that you're new to Airbnb, right? You're just starting to get to know your teams, not just in an office, but now in this new dynamic. So um, let's talk about that that dynamic for a little bit. Is it easier to build relationships because you know that you're eventually all going to be back in the same office? Do you think that you know this dynamic will go back to what it was? Do you see things being different? Like, How do you feel about all the newness of the things that are happening. So this is really interesting. And I've made a couple of bets with some folks about what's going to happen once things, you know, return to some semblance of normal. And to be honest, I actually don't know what's going to happen. The cynical part of me believes that we'll just very quickly revert back to old habits, you know, especially, you know, if you had sort of like this uh, uh, San Francisco first or Bay Area first mentality. I hope that does not happen. I hope a lot of what we're doing now sticks. But as far as how is it, how it kind of relates to onboarding, 100% agree. The challenge for me has been I'm used to sort of building these strong relationships when I first started a company. And it's a whole lot easier to do that in person than it is, you know, over a video conference, uh, you know, the first few times that you're meeting folks. Generally, uh, if I have like a new manager or someone joining my team that's going to be working in a remote location, we will actually fly them out to the central location for the company. And this happened at Uber and Twilio before that, where we'll onboard them and have them meet a lot of folks in person first. And then they will sort of go back to, you know, their, their own local time zone and kind of continue to build those relationships after the fact. And so uh, at Airbnb, I basically had four weeks to onboard and meet a lot of folks in person. And then, you know, we started working from home, you know, and we're in our fifth or sixth week of that right now. That's a very common experience. I think whenever I have onboarded in a new company, creating that FaceTime is absolutely essential. And so it's not unusual, like you said, to go spend some time there, develop those relationships. And um, my last company before PagerDuty, I was actually spending about half of my time in San Francisco because I was working with a team that was not used to being remote at all. And so I I 100% hear you. I think it takes time and especially not just as an individual contributor, I think not to divert the discussion, but when you get into more of a lead or like a, a leadership role, correct. if there's a, a center of gravity around leadership in a physical location, so much brainstorming happens in the hallway or over lunch or in ways that you are just excluded from if you're remote. So how do you think that's going to impact this shift now that all of leadership is distributed where you are? So I actually just had a new manager that joined the team and that person joined just a few weeks ago. And so all of their onboarding has been virtual. And so it's been really interesting seeing how they're starting to come up to speed. I basically had to do a whole on 
boarding plan where they're meeting everyone virtually. They're meeting the team virtually. They haven't met 90% of the team in person yet. And this is actually going to be a leader of the team. And so it's been interesting watching their experience and then, you know, parroting that to my own experience as well. And it's definitely been challenging. However, I think it's developing a muscle that hopefully will continue, that will continue to flex after this. And so uh, I have a funny story to actually tell about this because there was actually, um, when I was at Uber, there was actually a, a person that I worked with that was overseas. And I had never met this person in uh, person like for two years that I worked at Uber. And finally, uh, we, we started out our interactions all over uh, video conference. And finally, we actually met in person because that person flew out to kind of do some in-person work with the team. And as soon as I saw them, I thought that this was a very small and short, stocky person. This person was like seven feet tall and was a giant and dwarfed me. And I just remember looking up and going, wow, like that just shaped so much of my perception of like what that person was like and how I interacted with them. And then seeing them in person kind of changed that a bit. And so it wasn't really negative in any sense. It was just sort of interesting that my perception changed a little bit. And so I definitely was not intimidated interacting with that person over video conference. However, if that relationship had started and, you know, we started out by meeting in person, it might have actually changed the way we got to know each other a little bit. And so from that point of view, I actually think it may end up being, you know, more beneficial having more and more folks start like this by default because, um, you know, it kind of removes some of that, if, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think that's interesting. That's one of the things that people don't talk about very often, which is when it comes to physical cues that you might get from being in the same room with someone, usually what we focus on is, you know, some of the nuance that's lost or things that you might not pick up. But Correct. I think very few folks think about um, what sounds like in this case would have been an intimidating presence and how removing that allows you to more clearly see someone and establish a communication style that might have been hindered otherwise. That's correct. Exactly. I love that. So I think that sort of leads to one of the things that I wanted to ask about, which is because you've managed globally distributed teams, and you've had some interactions where that remote experience and the personal experience were so different. Um, maybe let's start by identifying where some of the overlap is, right? Like what are some of the the challenges that you think you were better prepared for having managed globally distributed teams now that you're just stuck at home and you're not in an office? So I mentioned one of these uh, already, and I want to kind of double down on this a little bit. And it's this notion of just having a routine. Uh, when you're working with a globally distributed team, you can't just start randomly talking to folks in the hallway and like resolve, you know, uh, some critical decision by just walking to your next meeting. You have to plan everything. Every meeting is planned. Every interaction is planned because there's no other way to, to coordinate. And so on that level, that's actually helped a lot going, you know, into this new, um, you know, this new working environment, this notion that you have to have all of this routine and not just your own personal routines and, but actually the routines for the team as well too. And so we actually just refer to these internally as team norms where we've kind of taken what's worked well, you know, uh, for globally distributed teams and just made everyone do that. And so like, what's an example of a team norm? Well, the primary hours that we are all expected to be in front of a computer are maybe 10 a.m. Pacific to 5 p.m. Pacific. So we just kind of set that norm. And everyone will hang out in this uh, chat or Slack channel. 
you know, that's another norm. And we will have two meetings, you know, every week during this time where we chat about thing, these things. That's another norm. And so by having the globally distributed teams and, you know, already having some of those practices, applying those to all of the teams as well, like helped a lot in this. And we basically told all, all the engineering managers, hey, write a document with all your team norms in it correctly set expectations and just develop this routine and this cadence. And it's actually helped quite a bit. So I was very happy that we were able to leverage that. An interesting thing about uh, my teams today are about half of the people on my teams are globally distributed and the other half are Bay Area centric. And so we were able to take the lessons from the globally distributed half and apply those to everyone else. And I think that definitely helped. And in fact, some other teams that are outside of my org have started picking up on some of those lessons and, you know, uh, copying some of the things that we're doing. And that's great. You know, that's the best way to kind of learn and, and adapt. You know, when I started at PagerDuty, my team was entirely based in the Bay Area. And as the team hired and expanded and grew over time, we became primarily remote. And one of the exercises that we did is we called it the rules of engagement. And we yes. documented what those expectations were. I'd like to see what I can share of those and maybe put a link to that in the show notes to help folks see what those things are like. But on that topic, one of the things I wanted to bring up is that like I mentioned earlier, right, having been a remote worker and kind of an extreme remote worker for so long, I've been a little baffled at how difficult it's been for folks. And so I wanted to get your perspective. I mean, I know that you have worked with global teams, but what are you seeing in your own teams? What are people having the hardest time with? So you touched on this a little bit earlier, and uh, this is a point of clarity that I want to kind of double down on. And it's funny because in my mind, uh, working from home and everybody being remote were sort of kind of conflated a little bit. You know, they were sort of the same thing. And I think the challenge with what's going on right now is that we don't just have a bunch of people working from home. We have a bunch of people working from home with their spouses who are also working from home, you know, with their children who are also working from home. And so it's not just that we've changed one thing and everyone's now kind of working remotely. We've also just changed everyone's households at the same time as well. And so I even mentioned uh, earlier about developing the routine. You know, the challenge here is you're not just developing your routine and the routine of your teams, but also of your your household as well, too, um, and everything that comes with that. And so that's been the big thing that people have really been struggling with. And at one point, we had to tell folks, look, I know we're trying to set up these norms and whatnot, but some of you have families and children, and you're figuring out how to make all this work. Take the time to do that. Take the time to figure that out, because it's not easy if you find yourself in a situation where now you're homeschooling all of your kids and you're like, you know, I'm not qualified to be doing this. I got to figure this out and continue doing my day job at the same time. And so that's been the really interesting thing is just sort of seeing everyone, you know, adjust to that as well. Even uh, I'll share something personal here, even with me and my wife, my wife is not used to me being home all the time. And so she often will you know, when I go to work, I'm basically in back-to-back -back meetings all day. But she, to her, I'm like basically hanging out in the house. And so she's always asking me to do things and to do chores and things like that. And I'm like, I'm not here. I'm working right now. You know, it's kind of setting that expectation. And I just think it's taken everyone a while to kind of get used to that and get used to these new rules of engagement, not just within your company, but also within your house as well. It's funny because there are things that are inevitable. And so as you were speaking, one of the things that I was 
enormously thankful for is my dog is wearing a cone right now. You know, the cone of shame. (laughs) She has a paw injury and she is so sad when she has that cone on. And for the last half hour, I could just hear her whining in the background. And right now Uh I'm just going to knock on wood and make sure it doesn't start. But that's one of the things that I think we take for granted, or mm-hmm. I think that we maybe not take for granted, but we we give a lot of attention to, which is when you're working at home, there are disruptions that happen, like your dog might be whining, you know, your spouse might be, you know, asking you to do a bunch of things that seem a little out of place or uncommon. But I would challenge folks and say, well, you know, it's uh, not unlike the disruption that you have when somebody is in your meeting room and they're not clearing out and so your meeting starts late or the <laughs> office Wi-Fi went out, right? Or any number of other issues that we're accustomed to in an office environment. But when they happen from home, it seems like, well, that's a personal life thing. So that obviously is interfering with productivity and you're not really doing your job. So let me ask you, in terms of productivity, how's that going for you? So interestingly enough, it's a double-edged sword. So, and I'll talk about myself and then actually the team, because this is a really interesting question. You know, from my own personal point of view, uh, working, you know, from home, I'm a lot more productive, especially when I have to do creative things like put together presentations or write documents or things like that. It's very, it's a hundred times easier to do work like that because I can focus. There's not a lot of interruptions. I can, you know, mute uh, Slack if I need to or things like that. And so from that point of view, it's gotten a lot easier. Where, where it's gotten a lot more challenging is in the relationship building, you know, side of the house is in, you know, getting to know folks and figuring out who the right people are, you know, to interact with and how do I actually effectively get things done. Like doing all of that navigation, I've gotten way less productive as a result. And it takes like 10 times as much effort. And so somehow maybe this is all balancing its, uh, itself out. Definitely being been able to focus more on the creative end, but sort of, you know, on the kind of communication and coordination point of view, that's that's actually, you know, I'm still getting a lot of stuff done, but it's actually taking more effort to get the same amount of things done. And then if you actually look at the output of our teams, this is really interesting because um, we actually looked at the statistics for deployments once we started working from home. And guess what happened? You had more deployments? More deployments. The deployment rate went up by about 20 to 30%. Wow. And we were shocked. We were like, what the heck's going on? Like, is this an anomaly? Are people, you know, the, the business is changing a little bit. So are people just shipping more things related to that? And it's actually a combination of things. But we actually sent out a survey to a bunch of our engineers uh, and managers to ask them exactly what was happening. And the interesting thing from the survey, the results that we got from the survey were that 70% of folks actually did say they felt more productive, but that same 70% actually felt like their energy levels were way lower as well. So we were getting more things done, you know, at the expense of more like energy levels and, and effort. And so it was definitely very interesting. I definitely feel that because I feel like when I have been lucky enough to be in a city where there is a local office, even though I'm a remote worker. In those situations, I have very much enjoyed having some time at home so I can focus and get things done. And then time where I go into the office to get some social FaceTime and talk to people. And, you know, and in those moments, I've had 
conversations in a hallway or across a desk, exposing me to parts of the business I had no idea were even happening, right? And so I think one of the things that we can do in this shift, or here's what I've noticed with my teams, I do see that productivity still. But one of the things, and I don't know if it's because we're all remote or if it's a pandemic or kind of a mix of all of the things that are happening, but especially right now, I think people are really hungry for that social connection. And whenever my team has made an opportunity to have a virtual happy hour or just have a meeting that ended early, we're sticking around to talk to each other, to just have a little more social time. And mm-hmm. so it's it's good because I feel like those connections continue to develop with my team. They're not maybe as widespread with people that I don't directly interface with, right? That I would have run into in the kitchen getting a cup of coffee. But I think those opportunities are there if we can maybe just find more ways to make those things occur. Does that make sense? It does. And I will actually offer some things we tried to do exactly that because I noticed very early on, and this wasn't just true within my team, but across the company, is that because people weren't sort of used to doing those types of interactions like over, you know, video conferencing, we had to kind of force them a little bit. Uh, And I mentioned earlier, my team is split where half the people were globally distributed and the other half weren't. And so for the half that that wasn't, we had to actually do activities to kind of help like break that ice a little bit and get people used to that. And so there's a couple of that we did that were huge hits. Uh, One of them was we did a virtual talent show. I actually demonstrated DJing. Uh, I was actually a DJ in a former life. And so I showed everyone how to actually do this for 10 minutes and, you know, played some songs and mixed some tracks together. We had another team member um, actually show off Beat Saber, which is this cool uh, virtual reality game where you have lightsabers and you slash these blocks uh, to the beats of music. We had someone else sing and play guitar. And it was a really good icebreaker to kind of start like getting more folks to kind of Actually, it was just a really good icebreaker. The other really fun thing that we did is um, we actually did our own version of Cribs. (laughs) And so everyone signed up for a slot and they actually would take their laptops around their house and they would show off their homes and their working areas. And, you know, we we all figured sooner or later we were all going to get used to seeing this stuff anyway. So we might as well just do it right off the bat. And it was really interesting because seeing people's homes instantly changed like the <laughs> levels of interactions and familiarity I had with folks. I loved it. It was awesome. That's great. I I love that idea. I feel like I would want to know that that tour is coming. It's like yes. clean up a little bit. <laughs> uh, if you gave me notice, I would love to do that. I think those are, those are some really great tips. I love that. I think those are good, actionable ways that you can just create an opportunity to get a little bit more of that connection you might not otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, Summary, I got to say, this is this has been a really great conversation, and I love that we are learning a lot more about remote work and distributed communication habits and ways to create that. Um, I just want to call out, I think you actually have a lot to say about incident response, and there was one very notable occasion where... I met you at Uber because we wanted to go out to happy hour and I walked in in the middle of one of the incidents that was happening for your team and I got to hear how your team was managing incidents and I would love to sit down and talk with you a little bit more about that. However, (laughs) we're almost at time for the show. So before we go, there are two things that we ask every guest on this show. So number one, what is one thing that you wish you would have known sooner when it comes to running software in production? 
So uh, obviously, you know, I've been been doing this for quite a while. Uh, definitely one of the lessons that I learned that I actually wish not only I had long, learned sooner, but that the industry would just kind of really, really grok this right now is this notion that we keep adding more complexity to the things that we're doing. We keep adding more and more layers of abstraction. You know, we, we've got like production environments, which are physical machines, running virtual machines, running containers, you know, running uh, service discovery and routing layers. And, you know, while we do get some bit of uh, flexibility and functionality with this, that complexity comes at a cost. And we have to always make sure we're balancing the amount of complexity we're actually introducing to our, our systems. Uh, I love new and shiny things. And especially earlier in my career when I was younger, I love like playing around with the latest technologies and finding reasons to use things. But it did actually bite me, you know, in the butt like quite a few times. And so now I'm I'm a lot more thoughtful about making decisions like that. You know, I know that if we introduce a line of code, you know, into production, it's probably going to exist for years and years and years. And there's a certain amount of support that comes with that. And so just being very, very thoughtful about what we're creating and the amount of technical debt that we're doing in the process. Definitely wish I would have known that sooner. Definitely it's stuck in my head now. And it's just one of those things that I wish the general industry would adopt a little bit more. There's the viewpoint that simple systems have better uptime. And it's absolutely 100% true. I agree. (laughs) The thing that we struggle with is that so many platforms now abstract so much of what's happening underneath that the trade-off, you know, I don't think things are getting any less complex anytime soon. I agree. But when, when you have increasing complexity, what's important is you have to still be able to reason about what's happening in the system. And when you can no longer reason about it, that's when you're shot in the foot. So I yep. love that. I think we should do a whole episode around that. <laughs> um, okay. And lastly, before we let you go, is there anything about running software in production that you're glad that we did not ask you about? I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's very smart. Like most folks on the show actually don't. That's my sneaky way of trying to get you to answer a question that you don't want to answer. At all, so. <laughs> Good job. You know, I should have expected no less from you. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, somebody. I think that's been a really good look at some things that we can do. So we'll take a lot of those tips that you shared and put them in the show notes so that folks can refer to uh, a few of the things that we talked about. So before we go, somebody, is there a way that our audience can reach out to you if they want to follow up with questions or comments or what should they reach out to you about? So I'm pretty much Sumbri all over the place. Uh, so I'm at Sumbri at LinkedIn and Twitter, Sumbri at Airbnb.com as well. You can reach out to me uh, on any of those platforms. I always love to talk everything production engineering, reliability, et cetera. And so happy to chat with anyone. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. We'll put that contact in the show notes as well. And thanks again for sharing some of your experience with us. Thanks for having me. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. And this is George Miranda. Wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page It to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. That's at pageittothelimit. Let us know what you think of the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, 
uneventful days are beautiful days. 